Well, I get the pleasure to intro the guy behind me this morning. Uh, Phoenix Fest last session, you guys heard him speak last night. What did you think of his talk last night? I'm telling you guys, you could have heard a pin drop in here. He's an incredibly gifted communicator, and we're very lucky to have him. So would you all join me in welcoming Amos this morning? This is coming from the book of Romans, chapter 12. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention to God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. This morning, I'm going to need your imaginations. Now, I can't see your faces, but I know you're out there. I, uh, I love to play. Uh, I like story. And in order for story to work, you have to use your imagination. So if you're feeling uncomfortable this morning, that's okay. This, I'm wearing shoes. Like, usually I wear sandals or sneakers, so that's different for me. But I just need you to use your imagination. And I need you to just, like, throw yourself into the story, into the narrative of the scriptures. And in order to do that, if you need to close your eyes, that's great. If you don't, that's fine. But I just want you to imagine that you're in a room. And the room is not very big, it's kind, of, it's kind of small, it's got whitewashed walls and cobblestone floor. And there's a couple windows in the room, and it's a corner room. And you kind of have a sense that you're in like a, a villa of some kind. Second story, you got a pretty good view out. And as you look out the one window, you can see the agro-corinth. It's a huge monolithic rock. It stands like a statue its shadow casts over the land. It's beautiful, it's strong, it's like a, like a protecting giant. You feel its presence. You look at the other window and you can see the faint line of the Isthmus Canal. It's not yet completed, but it's there. You can look out down on the, on the, the, the windows below and you can see a city hustling and bustling. And there's a marketplace where the merchants are rolling out their wares for the day. And, and there's the freemen, the, the workers, the, the kind of the, the working class, the carpenters and the leather makers and the stonemasons. And there's the, the grinding and the cutting and the, the tanning. And you can see big burly men walking through the city streets. And just by the look of them, you know that they're retired Roman soldiers legionaries and you can see women and they're not wearing head coverings and they're in their hair draped down they're proud and regal and rich you're in the city of Corinth a hotbed of Roman culture a new life city it's 
blazing hot. The economy here is on fire. There's about 100,000 people up and down in the sounds and the smells and the sights. If you get a second's moment to just hear the Mediterranean breaking in the far distance. But you're in a room. You're in a small room. And there's not much to this room. There's a plant in the corner and a table on the side. And there's a man at the table, and he's hunched over, and he's got a quill in his hand, and he's got a bunch, a big stack of parchment paper beside him, and he's hunched, and he's furiously writing. His face is focused. His eyes are laser sharp on the words that he is penning. He does not want to make a mistake. And every so often, he looks up, takes a breath, looks, looks skyward, and he's back down to furiously writing. But he's not penning his own words. There's another man in the room. And this man, to look at him, you'd think there's not much to look at. He's actually an awkward-looking man. He's short. He's bow-legged. He's kind of hunched over. He has a unibrow. He's not very attractive. He's kind of ugly, to be honest. And he's talking. And he is smart. He's clever. He's intelligible. And he's speaking. And he's looking at the man at the table, and he's making sure that his words match what the man at the table is writing. And he speaks. The scribe writes. And as he speaks, he says, so here's what I want you to do, man at the table. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention to God. You'll be changed from the inside out. I can imagine the man at this point pauses, he waits. That hit him. That, that struck him. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to the level, God brings the best out of you. I can, I can imagine the man pauses, and he turns around and says, Tertius, did you get that? Tertius at the table, his scribe says, yes, I did. He's like, that was a good line. Make sure you, make sure you write that down. That was good. I got it. I got it, Paul. Don't worry. They had been crafting this letter for some time. And the seamlessness in which they worked was magical, beautiful to watch. And hour after hour they go, and Paul dictates to Tertius what to write. And I can imagine Tertius's hand is getting tired. This is a big letter. And then a woman comes to the door, and she walks in. And to look at her, you'd be struck by how regal and beautiful and strong and capable she obviously is. Her ornate gown clearly demonstrates she's wealthy. Her poise clearly demonstrates that she is a woman of high reputation. 
And when she walks in the door, Paul greets her warmly. Phoebe, Phoebe, welcome. And Phoebe looks at Paul and says, are you almost done? Yes, Paul says, I'm almost finished. When can I deliver your letter? Right now, Paul says. The, the letter is wrapped up in a scroll. And Paul takes out his ring and he puts it over the, the wax seal and he presses his signet ring into the letter and says, here, my letter to the Romans. When should I take it, Phoebe says. You can take it now. It, it's time to go. And when I'm done in Jerusalem, I'll meet you in Rome. And Paul has the highest trust in this woman. She's a leader. She's smart as a whip. She's confident. She has a reputation that goes before her. And Paul hands one of the most important letters he has ever written to her as his emissary. And she knows that the, the travel from Corinth to Rome, to Rome is long and perilous and dangerous, and there's one copy of this thing. And she's like, I probably have to memorize this just in case. And so Phoebe takes the letter. Before Paul leaves the room, there's something else in this room. Something else that you wouldn't even think to look at it at first glance. But Paul walks over to it. And he runs his hand across the leather-bound chest. And he takes a little key from his tunic. And he unlocks it and he lifts the lid. And what comes, shines back at him are hundreds of coins, shimmering, glistening, different sizes, different weights, different crests and emblems. And Paul runs his hands through these coins and he's overwhelmed with emotion. He can't believe it. These coins are not, not his money. This is not his life savings. This is not his salary. These aren't his. These coins have been collected from the churches across the empire, the churches across the Mediterranean, for years, with one singular purpose in mind. These coins are going to go back to Jerusalem for the church there that's been gripped by a famine, that's been gripped by poverty, and the Christians in Jerusalem need help. And Paul runs his hands through these coins and he can remember Jerusalem. Jerusalem, where it all started. Where Jesus walked through the streets as a lamb to slaughter, sacrificed on Golgotha and raised three days later. Jerusalem, where the temple of Yahweh is. Where his 
whole upbringing was centered around God in the temple. Jerusalem, where the Sanhedrin is located, where he is a Pharisee, was climbing up the ranks. And he had, was destined to be a high, big-shot Pharisee, a leader of leaders. Jerusalem, the city where Stephen was stoned, where he took his violence and his rage and his anger and his fear and he allowed it to grip him to take another life. Jerusalem, where he hunted Christians down. Jerusalem, where it all started when he left and he met Jesus on the road and his life was transformed inside out. Paul could have never, ever, 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 ever imagined that he would be holding the chest of coins for Christians collected by Jews and Gentiles around the empire to go back to the city where it all started. It was an honor for Paul, a deep privilege. And I can imagine as he is sitting there looking at these coins, he is, his eyes are flooded with tears. Phoebe, I'll meet you in Rome, but I have something I have to do first. I have to take this collection to Jerusalem. I have to. It's been years. Paul has been lugging this around for years. There's no e-transfers back then. There's no PayPal. There's no debit. This is heavy gold coin. In an ancient world where there's bandits and robbers and marauders and pirates, this is hard, risky stuff. I have to go, Paul says. And so with the letter to the Romans in Phoebe's hand, she makes her way to Rome. And with the chest of gold, Paul and his companions make their way to Jerusalem. The trip is long. It's not easy. Over treasures passes and mountain roads, the risk is great. And he comes to the port in Troas and he gets on a ship and he crosses the Mediterranean over open water. And as he gets closer and closer and closer, I can't imagine how Paul feels. The excitement, the relief, the fear, but there's something else that's happening. Every stop he makes, he is running into his friends, his Christian friends, the churches that he's planted, these ecclesias around the Mediterranean, and they all are saying the same thing. Paul, don't go. Paul, don't go back there. Paul, if you go there, you're going to meet trouble. Paul, don't go. Paul says, I have to go. His ship lands on the shore. Now he's on the mainland and he's moving closer to the city. And there he sees Jerusalem like a jewel shining over the landscape of the rolling hills of Judea. And the temple is glistening in the sunlight. 
unmistakably. And as he approaches the city and he can hear the sounds of the city, I imagine Paul's heart begins to race, gets heavy, he is excited. And as he comes into the city, he remembers through all the roads that he's taken here. All the memories that he has of this place. They're his, but they're distant. Well, he runs into the church elders, James and the others who are leading the church in Jerusalem, and he presents the, the news of the Gentile world and how they're receiving Jesus. And then he presents the chest, the collection. Paul can't believe it. Jews and Gentiles are not to be friends. Jews and Gentiles don't mix. People don't give generously in the ancient world. And they certainly don't do it without recognition. But there isn't one single name that you can attach to one single coin. There isn't a patron who says, this is my collection. No one can take ownership over this huge vat of money. Only Jesus. And Paul hands this chest over to the starving church in Jerusalem. And the leaders in the church in Jerusalem, I can't imagine they do anything but weep with joy. New ways of being in the world are being fused together. This is a new way to be human, and they, they, they know it. But Paul's journey isn't quite done yet. Some days pass. Paul has it in his heart to return to the temple. This is really ground zero for Paul. And as he walks up the temple steps, as he would have done so many times before as a young man, I can imagine his heart is just pounding. He's not young anymore. He's not well-respected in this community anymore. He's old. He's worn down. He's tired. But he walks up these steps. One, two, three, four. He can see the portico of the temple coming into view, and he knows where the Sanhedrin, where the elders would meet. And he has all these memories of his time there, but they're his, but they're different and distant. And as he walks through the temple gates into the court, he hears a voice. Paul, that's him. Get him. Blasphemer, heretic, grab him, arrest him. And a mob of people come around Paul. They grab him. They rough him up. They beat him with full intention to kill him. Paul's story doesn't end there. But he never makes it back to Rome the way he thought he would. He'll get there eventually. In, in some time, but he'll, he'll go in chains. His whole point was, if I go to Rome, I can springboard into Spain. 
and spread the gospel in Spain and plant churches in never happens. Paul becomes a personification, a living witness of his own words. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention to God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you develops well-formed maturity in you. Paul's letter to the Romans, I dare say when he made, when he dictated that, he had no idea where his story was going to go. He had no real concept of what was going to happen. Maybe a sense But the thing about it, when Paul met Jesus on the road and he showed up, he knew his name. He loved him. He did not accuse him. All he did was say, why are you hunting me? Why? Why are you doing that? Why are you holding on so tightly to your identity? Why are you grasping so tightly to the thing that's actually destroying you? Why? Why, Paul? Why, Amos? Why, Phoenix Fest? Why, Bethany St. Catharines? Why are you grasping so tightly to this thing? Your pain, your trauma, your hurt, your pride, your money, your sense of self, your insecurity, fear and Paul knows firsthand like firsthand what it means to be transformed inside out and he knows the exchange can you let go Jesus asks can you let go and pick up something else can you become a part of my story? Can I write you into my story, Paul? Can you let go of, of the thing you're grasping so tightly and actually become a co-author of this incredible adventure? Here's the amazing thing about this collection. In the middle of this story, when Paul's writing this letter to the Romans, this is literally what he's about to do. What's amazing about it is it wasn't Paul's money. It wasn't even Paul's idea. It wasn't the big apostle Paul or Peter who said, we should raise money for the Christians in Jerusalem. You know who it was? The tiny little churches dotted around the Mediterranean with all those 
insignificantly unknown Christians who met Jesus, were known by him, who, who was loved by him, who began to follow him, who put down their stone, and they, they, they took in the imagination of Christ. And they were the ones who said, you know what's a good idea? We should raise money for the Christians in Jerusalem. They're Gentiles. They're on the other side of the world. What do they, what do they care? They're a part of a new story. They're a part of a new narrative. And they have a new imagination. And they're seeing things that other people aren't seeing. It wasn't Paul. It was these tiny churches. And it was in the middle of a famine. And they had nothing to give. And yet they gave everything that they had. And Paul becomes the wire to the current. He just becomes the carrier. But it's not Paul's story. It's the church's story. It's not my story. It's not Evan's story or Andrew Mills' story. It's you. It's you. It's not Bethany St. Catherine's building. Incorporated or Phoenix Fest weekend, it's you. If you choose to lay down the heavy burden, the heavy weight that you're carrying, and you choose to pick up, to be a part of the story, the narrative of Jesus, he will make you, you. And through you, with your God-given imagination and the spirit working out of you, you will actually change the world. And you won't even have to try. It just happens. It's effortless. It's not toilsome and grinding and hard. It's easy. The yoke is easy. The burden is light. The life is full. And it's you and Jesus co-authoring a new way to be human. And how, how could you say that, Amos? How do you know that? Because it's been happening for 2,000 years. Over and over and over again. And the church messes up all the time. Jesus never stops authoring a new story. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you're here. I thank you that you're present. I thank you that as absurd as it is to believe in an invisible God who dies and rises again, that it, it resonates and it's real. And I thank you it requires faith, that it's not obvious, it's not in your face. It requires a step of faith, it requires a response. I thank you that when you do show up, you know our names with love. That you don't accuse, you don't shame, you don't guilt. You ask why, and then you invite. And so Jesus, now I pray that even in this moment that you would meet the people here, you'd meet the teens here, that I don't know what they're going back to, what houses they're living in, the situations that they're in. 
that they would have an encounter with you, they would know you, they would see your face and hear your voice and trust you to lay their heavy burden down and pick up the pencil of authorship with you. Jesus, I thank you that you make us human. And I pray that you continue to work in the hearts and the minds of the people here, the teenagers here, Bethany St. Catharines, their witness in this town and in this city. I thank you for all these things in your name. Amen. At any point, if you're willing and you're able and you want to, feel free to come exchange your heavy burden to pick up the pencil of authorship to co-write a beautiful adventure with Jesus this morning.